Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 31. Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And when they said to him, and they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thus ends our reading of God's triumphant word. May all who hear it understand the victory that they have in Christ Jesus. Well, we made it. Finally. We finally reached the end of this magnificent book called the Book of the Acts of the Apostles. And today, 
is our final sermon in this series. And what a series it's been, right? And we've seen up close and personal the formation and the expansion of Christ's church. From its infancy in, in Jerusalem all the way to the account that we just read today where we see the Apostle Paul finally entering into the city of Rome. And I am confident that over the past year and three months, because that's how long it's been, that God has been able to use this book to bring a change within us. That, that who we are today as a church is not the same as who we were back in the fall of 2022. For some of us, we have, we have gained a greater understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in his church. How, how he helps his church to grow and to mature and to truly blossom. For, for others of us, we, we have widened our view of the world around us. We now see the great need for the gospel to be proclaimed. And then still for others of us, our voice for Jesus has grown louder as we have become more vocal in our witness of our King. And hopefully for all of us, we now hold in higher esteem our great and mighty Savior as we now see the heights and the, the depths and the widths of Christ's victory over his enemies. But in order for us to finish this series off right, I feel like we need to remind ourselves first of where we started off, of where we began in this book called Acts. If you remember, it was right before Jesus ascended into heaven that, that his disciples asked their Lord a very important question. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, will you at this time Restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, why were they asking this question? What, what could have prompted them to be thinking this way? Well, it was because of what Jesus had just told them. That they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These men were, were viewing the arrival of God's Holy Spirit to be the, 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 the climax of God's saving work that the restoration of the nation of Israel would occur at this outpouring of God's Spirit. And, and where do they get this from? Well, they get this from the prophet Joel. Look at, look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And, and it shall come to pass afterwards that, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. You see, when these disciples heard Jesus say that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they came to the natural conclusion that Israel, Israel would become its own nation once more. <clears throat> that this prophecy from the, the book of Joel would be fulfilled. That Jesus, their Messiah, would, would take his throne and that he would rule from that holy city of David. <clears throat> Yet would these disciples imagine to be the climax of God's kingdom? Well, it was really only the beginning, wasn't it? Listen to how Jesus answers them. Look at, look at Acts 1 again. Look at verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You, you see, the, the thinking of these disciples, it was just too small. They were concerned about that old kingdom. A, a kingdom that had geographical boundaries. A, a kingdom that, that, that was pretty much relegated, at least for the most part, to the direct descendants of Jacob. But the kingdom that, that Jesus was bringing, well, that was much more vast. A kingdom who, whose citizens would be from all walks of life. A kingdom that has no geographical boundaries. God didn't need to restore the kingdom to Israel. He, he needed to restore Israel to the kingdom. He needed to change the mindset of his people in order that they might truly know what it means to be an authentic citizen of that kingdom. And so it's not just about the Jews. Rather, an authentic Jew is anyone who has submitted his will to the Lord. It is someone who is lowly in spirit and looking for a Savior. It is someone who has let go of, of the worldly kingdoms that, that they are trying to build and has grabbed tightly onto this heavenly kingdom, this kingdom where Jesus is Lord. how will this kingdom grow? And what does Jesus say to us? That it would be through the means of his church as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you remember when we began this series, I, I said that the theme that Luke was putting forth was this. God purposes to bring salvation to his people through the life and mission of his church as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to bear witness to the life and mission of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Now that's a mouthful, so let me repeat that. God purposes to bring salvation to his people through the life and mission of his church as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit 
in order to bear witness to the life and mission of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And this is what we've seen, have we not? Throughout this book, we've seen Jesus use his church to be his witness. They were the ones who brought the saving message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Whether it was Peter or, or Stephen, whether it was Philip or Paul, we, we have seen Jesus use these brave and, and faithful men, men who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, to bring his saving message to the Roman world and beyond. Thousands upon thousands were getting saved. Cities were being claimed for Christ's kingdom. Wherever these men would go, the kingdom would go before them, right? Advancing and taking territory. I can't help but to think of the words that Jesus gave to his disciples and how true they were. After, after Peter gave his great confession. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now this rock that Jesus was referring to was, was the declaration that Peter had just made. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that it was upon that declaration, upon the eyewitness testimony of the risen and exalted Jesus, that we have seen Christ's kingdom expand. And there is no gate of the enemy that can withstand this kingdom's growth. They all topple before it. We have seen the triumph of the gospel. We have seen the triumph of Christ's church. We have seen the triumph of Christ himself. And now here, as, as Luke ends this account, we see this triumph being expressed through Christ's apostle, through the apostle Paul. And the first way we see it is through Paul's triumphal entry into Rome. If you recall, it was way back in Acts chapter 19 where we first saw being, Paul being called to Rome. Paul was still in Ephesus, nearing the end of his third missionary journey. And, and the, the, the riot in Ephesus that was caused by the silversmith Demetrius, well, that was just about to occur. And it was then that Paul received this calling by the Holy Spirit. A calling that he was to go to Rome. Look at, look at Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, now that verse that I just read was four plus years and, and 11 chapters prior to, to where we currently are in our text. And only now did Paul see the fruition of this calling. Jesus had taken his apostle on this long and arduous journey, a journey filled with dangers, a journey filled with enemies, a journey where Paul would be imprisoned, and yet a journey where he would also be used to shine the bright light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And King Jesus, he had brought his apostle through all of that in order that Paul might stand before Caesar, the most powerful man of the world at that time, and that Paul might declare to that man that Jesus is Lord and that his kingdom has now arrived. That's why Jesus called Paul to Rome. To declare his victory to the most powerful man on this earth. Let's, let's take a look at this last leg of Paul's journey. Look, at, look once again at Acts chapter 28. Look at verses 11 through 16. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up and on the second day, we came to Putioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, we, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, now, there's a lot in this passage that we could cover here, like, like the fact that there were believers in this town called Putioli. Now, that's a good Italian name, right? Putioli. But, but what I want to hone in on is Paul's arrival into Rome. In, in the ancient Roman world, whenever a general or a king had a, had a great victory or performed some heroic deed, one of the ways that the people would honor their champion would be to meet him outside of the city and then welcome him in to great cheers and to great applause. And as he would make his way in, he would be surrounded by men of prominence. It could be high-ranking soldiers, high-ranking senators, it could be regents or governors or the combination of the like. It, it would be this display that, that this man was loved and cherished by all. And then following in the rear would, would have been the captives, right? The prisoners of wars, men who would have been chained and men who would have suffered ridicule that comes from defeat. Well, Paul's arrival into Rome was met by a triumph of his own. Christians from that city met Paul along the way. In fact, they didn't, they, they didn't just meet him outside the city gates, but they traveled great distances in order to welcome him, him in. Luke mentions the Forum of Apius, which was located 38 miles to the southeast of Rome. This was where the first group of delegates met, up, delegates met up with Paul. And then there was the three taverns, which was roughly 30 miles outside of Rome. And there we see a, a second group of delegates showing their support for this apostle. And so we see that there were two different parties of believers who desired to greet Paul along the way and, and journey with him on this final leg of, before he entered into their city. And what is ironic about all of this is that Paul, Paul was the one who was in chains, right? 
He was a captive. He was a prisoner of war. And yet he was the one who was being honored. Honored by this Christian delegation. And what an encouragement this must have been for someone who had been through so much turmoil. So many harrowing trials in his attempts to get to Rome. And yet it speaks volumes concerning the Apostle Paul's life. For Paul truly was entering in as a champion, was he not? As a conqueror. And that's, that's because wherever Paul went, Christ was proclaimed. Wherever he would go, the kingdom would expand. In Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Antioch, and in Cyprus, in Lycia and in Galatia, in Asia, in Macedonia, in Achaia, and most recently at the ends of the earth with the barbarous people of Malta. I mean, can you imagine all the places that Paul had been, all the people Paul had met, all the lives that had turned to Christ as he preached Christ crucified for their sins. Paul truly was Christ's champion, and now he was receiving a champion's welcome as he walked in to the world's capital. But not only did he receive a triumphal entry, but Luke also sets forth for us this declaration of Paul's innocence. I mean, Paul was still in chains, right? He was still under arrest. And because of the plot upon his life, he had, a, he had to appeal to Caesar. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Now, Paul had only arrived three days prior, and yet now he was being given this privilege of addressing the Jewish leadership within Rome. And what did Paul communicate to them? That no matter how many trials, no matter how long he has been locked up, the Roman officials never found any fault with him. In fact, they wanted to release him. And yet even though Paul was innocent, because of the pressure from the, from the Jewish leadership from within Jerusalem, Paul had to stay locked up as a favor to these Jews. And yet why was Paul in chains in the first place? And what does Paul say? He said that it was because of the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. Now what is the hope of Israel? Jesus, right? 
So it was because of Jesus Messiah that, 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 that Paul was now in these chains. It was because Jesus has risen from the dead that Paul had been arrested. It was because Paul preached the gospel message that Christ had died for the sins of his people and then rose victoriously, bringing salvation to all those who turn from their, from their sins and trust in him. That's why he wore these chains. That's why he was now before them. And how did these leaders respond? Look at verse 21. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. Did you catch what they were saying? These leaders had heard nothing from Jerusalem concerning Paul. And it's not that they hadn't had any visitors from there, because they did. And yet there was no report, nor any evil spoken about Paul. Now perhaps there were some delegates who were still on their way, but more likely, the, the, the Jerusalem leadership had simply dropped their case. And that's because they understood that they, they really had no hope of winning now that Paul had appealed to Caesar. Now, either way, the, the Jewish leadership within Rome, they heard nothing concerning Paul. And so they had no ill will against him. And in their eyes, Paul was innocent. And so we see Paul's triumphal entry into Rome. We see Paul's innocence before these Jewish leaders. And yet there's more when it comes to the triumph of Christ's church. For, the, for this meeting with these Jewish leaders would lead to a gospel witness to these Jews. Look at verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what your views are with regard to this sect. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. And so these men, they wanted to hear more about this Jesus. They, they wanted to know more about the Christian faith, what these followers of Jesus actually believed. And why? Because what they had heard and what they were now witnessing in the life of the Apostle Paul were two different things. All the reports that were given to them were negative. And yet this apostle, well, he seemed to be a God-fearing man. One who knew his scriptures well and spoke of the messianic hope that they all had. So what's going on here? Wasn't there already a Christian witness within Rome? Well, yes and no. It wasn't that the gospel wasn't going out because it was. But what was missing was any type of Jewish presence. Think, think back to Priscilla and Aquila. Those, those two converts to the Christian faith who had once lived in Rome and yet were forced out, finding themselves living in Corinth and later in Ephesus. Look at, look at Acts chapter 18 verses 1 and 2. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so if you can think back, if you can remember back, it it was Emperor Claudius at the time who had expelled all the Jewish Christians from Rome because they were so vocal with the gospel that it created an upheaval within the Jewish district. And so because of this, with, with the Jewish Christians being expelled, this left a void in the Christian witness to the Jews of Rome. And it had been that way for some time. And yet here comes Paul. And he finds himself to have this captive audience with the Jewish leadership from Rome, with the leaders of the synagogues. And these men, they they, they wanted to know more about this Jesus and why his followers were spoken against almost everywhere. For what they were now hearing from Paul was, was in direct contradiction to the rumors that had been spread. It's almost as if God had been preparing them for Paul's arrival. Let's see what Paul had to say to them. Look at, look at verses 23 and 24. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. You see, even though the church existed within Rome, because of the expulsion of the Jewish Christians, these Jewish leaders knew next to nothing when it came to the gospel message. And that's because there was nobody who was witnessing to them. And yet with Paul's arrival, they now had direct access, not only to a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who had converted to the Christian faith, but also to a direct eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. They had someone who could explain to them in vivid color how this Jesus is the hope of Israel. How he is the fulfillment of God's word. Again, this is just one more example of Christ's triumphant church. Because of Paul's entrance into Rome, Jesus now had a gospel witness to these Jews in Rome. But just like in every other city that Paul had gone to, there would be some who would be convinced and believe, and then there would be others who would simply refuse the message. But being the bold witness that Paul was, he gave to them a dire warning from God's word. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. 
Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Because of their refusal to believe, now Paul now quoted to these Jews from the prophet Isaiah. You see, when, when Isaiah was called by God to preach, he, he was called to preach to a people who would not listen, to a people who would remain stubborn. And only when God's judgment had arrived, only when it was too late, would they finally realize the error of their ways. And so when Paul quoted this scripture to these Jews who had rejected the gospel, he, he was giving them a dire warning of his own. Do not reject Jesus. Do not reject your Messiah, for you do so at your own peril. You do so at your own demise. But more than that, Paul also mentioned that the kingdom would be given to another, that it would be given to the Gentiles. They would listen. And this would be God's indictment upon these Jews who did not believe. For the fact that these Gentiles, these people who were without God's revelation, the fact that they would accept this message, well, that demonstrated how hard the hearts of these Jews truly were. And yet Christ's church is triumphant. For even though many of the Jews had rejected this message, Gentiles were now being welcomed into the kingdom. These people who had been living in darkness were now repenting. They were now believing in Jesus. They were the ones who were being saved. And so we see Paul's triumphal entry into Rome. We see his innocence declared. We see a gospel witness to the Jews in Rome, and now we see a gospel witness to the Gentiles as well. And this last triumph is proven to be true as we look at our last few verses. Look at, look at verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, I don't know about you, but, but to me, this kind of feels like an unsatisfying ending. Right? I mean, what happened to Paul's trial before Caesar? Was he ever freed? Did, did the church in Rome grow? I mean, what was Paul's... How did God use Paul in that city? I mean, why does Luke end his account there? Why, why not bring this to a, a better conclusion? Why, why leave the book of Acts so open-ended? Well, in order for us to answer this, we must first deal with the ending that Luke has given to us. Luke mentions that Paul was living there at his own expense. Now, now, this didn't mean that Paul was free, because he wasn't. But what it did mean was that, that as Paul awaited his hearing before Caesar, he was treated with dignity, dignity that comes with being a Roman citizen. 
And so he was, it was kind of like Martha Stewart, right? Being on house arrest, living in a dwelling of his own choosing rather than being locked up in some dank cell. And so while he was still in chains and while he was still under guard, he was able to, to live comfortably enough, even able to welcome visitors. And so he held an open door for anyone who wanted to hear about Jesus. But more than that, this house would be, would be used for some of Paul's greatest works. For it would be in this house where that, that Paul would write his letter to the Colossians and, and to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, and to one Philemon. Even though Paul was a prisoner, Paul was able to, to carry on in his kingdom work speaking boldly without hindrance about the gospel of the kingdom. Consider Paul's word in, a, in his letter to Timothy. Look at, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is the advice that he, he gives to, to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Even though Paul was under guard, even though Paul was in chains, the gospel of Jesus Christ could not be hindered. It could not be imprisoned like a man. And so despite Paul's chains, he was able to proclaim the kingdom and he was able to teach about Jesus and he was able to do so with all boldness and without any hindrance. Or consider what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi when, when he was in those chains. Look at, look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so this kingdom message was, was not just going out to the Jews, but it had now infiltrated Caesar's palace. It had, it, it had reached the very heart of Rome. And being that Rome at that time was the epicenter of civilization, that meant that the good news of Jesus Christ had reached the very heart of the world. I mean, Roman soldiers were coming to Christ. They were no longer looking to Caesar for their salvation, but they were looking to the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They were looking to Jesus Messiah. And what's more, Paul's imprisonment was now bolstering the courage of other believers. And so this triumph that was taking place wasn't just about one man, now was it? Rather, it was about all of God's people as they took up the calling that Christ had placed upon them. Bottom line, Luke is painting a picture for us that Jesus is winning. That his church is triumphant. 
that this early church was successful in the commission that Christ had given to them. They had victoriously reached the ends of the earth. And yet in the same breath, Luke is also letting us know that the job is not finished. Rather, it has simply just begun. And that's why we have the ending that we do. Luke wants to draw us in to this story, to the calling of Christ's church. He, he is subtly telling us that, that the work is not finished. That we, as Christ's church, must continue forward in the commission that Jesus gave in the beginning of this book. Yes, Paul had his triumphal entry into Rome, but not all of Rome had welcomed him in. Yes, Paul was declared innocent before these Jewish leaders, yet his chains remained because the kingdoms of this world had yet to bend the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, Paul had established a gospel witness to the Jews in Rome, but there were still many who had rejected this message, who had rejected Jesus. And yes, Paul had had a gospel witness in Caesar's palace. He had a gospel witness to the Gentiles. And yet not all Gentiles would believe. And in particular, Caesar. For we know from history that Nero himself would become one of the greatest enemies that the church would ever face. Dear friends, Christ's church is triumphant, but the work is not yet finished. Listen, if, if you are here today and you are in Christ, then you are on the winning side. You are triumphant. And you can take comfort in that. And you are declared innocent, just as Paul was declared innocent. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And yet in the same breath, the battle is not yet over. The mission of Christ now belongs to you. Ask yourself, now, now that you've gone through this book, now that we've finished the book of Acts, has your life changed? Are you advancing the gospel message? Are you being used for kingdom growth? Have we as a church become more evangelistic? Do we take more risks knowing that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Knowing that whatever the outcome is, Christ is victorious. Do we take those risks or do we continue to play it safe? If there's anything that we can learn from, from the lives of Peter, from the life of Stephen, from the life of Philip, from the life of Paul... It is that playing it safe is not in Christ's playbook. No. None of those men played it safe. And you, you are to boldly take the message of Jesus Christ and you are to proclaim it to the world around you. You are to declare it both to Jews and Gentiles alike that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is now ruling in heaven above, you must tell them that they must put their trust in him, 
that they must bend their knee to him. And you are to go without hindrance, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Brothers, sisters, Christ's victory is assured, yet the job is not finished. In many ways, the book of Acts is still being written today. And you, as Christ's triumphant church, you are to bear witness to your risen Lord. So let us be the church. Let us be the church triumphant. Power heads. Father, we, we come to you today knowing that the task that you have given to your church all those years ago has not changed. That we are still called to go. That we are still called to be witnesses of your Son, of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we know that when we go, that we cannot fail. And that's because you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You have made us triumphant. Help us to take this confidence so that we may open our mouths in order that we too might become witnesses, witnesses of your Son to a lost and broken world, to those who have rejected him, to those who have not heard about him. May we be your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.